Hi, I'm John Glidden, researcher and baker of tasty snacks for the very popular Let's Talk Gardening show on Curtain Radio from 8 till 10 on Saturday mornings. And I want to welcome you to this very special presentation. Ray Burton and Faye Akaro were joined by horticulturist and landscape designer Lisa Passmore for a four-part series of educational and inspirational discussions on the techniques that can be employed when planning a new garden or rejuvenating an existing garden. We hope you enjoy these three enthusiastic ladies as they guide you through the process. And speaking of Lisa Passmore, here she is. Good morning, young lady. How are you feeling? Oh, good morning, Ray. Good ma- morning, Faye. I'm Hi. feeling good. Good, oh, good. Yes. Good news. <laughs> well, we're, yep. we're very privileged to have you with us today to start the first of our four-part series on designing a garden. And yes. so we put this together so that listeners have got an idea of where to go and what to do. If you're faced with a garden that you've just bought or you're starting from scratch, step us through how how daunting it could be, Lisa, and how to overcome that. Okay. Well, I reckon garden design is one of the the most fun things you can do. Yes. And it's it's a bit of art meets science. And I think also you get to be a bit of a, a sleuth uh, an investigator as you're assessing these things. And we're going to be looking at the first step, which is assessing the site uh, and and getting getting that information documented is, is the first step this week. So um, one of the great things is you get to use all your senses. So mm. looking looking at the, the plot of land you've got, working out what the orientation is. Is it, where, where is north? And that's a really important first Step, um, and you can use your your phone apps. I used to use the old street directory. The UPD oh. had a north point on every page, um, so I would use that to orientate myself on the block. But now, now we can use um, smartphones and, and various apps for that. So, um, and looking at where is the garden located? Are you near the beach? Um, are you near the in the hills? Yeah. Um, a lot of listeners will probably be gardening on the Swan Coastal Plain, so somewhere mm-hmm. between the two. Um, so that first thing is to sort of stand out in sight and look at it, work out the North Point, and, and look at what's happening beyond the garden as well. The yeah. borrowed uh, landscape. Yes, yes. Isn't that a great term? Oh, so looking at hmm. what can you see that you want to integrate into your garden? Is there a nice view? Um, does your neighbour have a beautiful tree that you'd like to visually connect your garden to? Yeah. Or is it a, a, you know, a, a beach or a hill scene? Mm. Or is it something you want to be obscuring? So making notes about those things as well. Um, what's in the borrowed landscape is a good good step. Good start, isn't um, it? Yeah. And like Margaret was touching on before, um, the soil. We need to look at the soil. Um so before we start preparing and, and improving and adding amendments, we need to look at what we've got um, to start with. And there's some great information out there. I was showing my students just this week um, on Soils uh, 101 with Tino. Um, and Josh has done a great segment on gardening on sandy soil, both of those on Gardening Australia. And they're available um, on YouTube as well. Yeah. Um, and I've also done a little YouTube on turning sand into soil 
Uh, also, so some tips there, but um, grabbing a, a handful of the soil that you're dealing with, you know, so digging down a little bit, going five to ten centimetres down and um, first of all grabbing a handful of it, how does it feel when you, you hold it really tight? Does mm. it turn into a ball? Or when you open your hand, does it all just fall, fall through? through. <laughs> yes. Uh, which you've got sand. Um, so working both things out too and then um, doing some of those soil tests. So um, simple things that anyone can do at home, the, the, the jar test, um, putting some of that soil into uh, a, a clean jar with a well-fitted lid and then topping up the jar with water and giving it a really, really good shake mm. um, after a few minutes and then letting it to sit and settle and it will settle out into the different soil texture layers um, and ah at the bottom being the heaviest. So you can work out what ratio of sand to silt to clay you might have. Um, and that's really important too because yeah. it's important when you're choosing your plants that you're also choosing plants that can cope um, with your current situation. Um, although we do always recommend soil amendments. Amending, well. yes, of but course. That, that will give yeah. people an idea Indication. of whether they're dealing yeah. with just sand yeah. or exactly. if there's something... Yeah more in there that's going to help hold moisture yeah. and nutrients. With, yeah. mm. And in doing so as well, when you're grabbing that sand and you start to add water, you're going to get a bit of a sense of how easy is it actually to wet. And when I do a little pH test um, with a pH test kit, um, that's the first thing I'm looking for is my liquid just beading off and running off the soil sample, mm. um, in which case I know already I'm also dealing with a hydrophobic soil. So mm. very important things. Um, and then I mentioned about your senses. I think that's really, really important to um, to use all your senses. What What can you hear when you're out in your garden? Um, is there traffic noise? Is there, you know, industry noise in the background? Or can you hear birds? Can you hear frogs? What can you, what can you hear in your garden? Because that might, you know, inspire you to uh, plant more things for attracting birds or frogs or look at sound barriers for industry noise or um, unwanted noises yeah. that you can hear. Um and, and to some degree, you know, what can you smell? Um, and this is, you know, gardeners do this even with the earth. They're picking up the, the earth or they're picking up the, the mulch, the compost. They um, they can tell things from the smell, you know, yep, smell okay. and organic. Mm, yes, mm. they're not putrid. Um, mm. uh, is there fragrances nearby? You know, you might, your neighbour might have a lovely flowering hedge and yeah. that might inspire you as well to, to go on the aromatic journey. So... There's all sorts of things. And how does the ground feel under your feet? Um, so being, you know, taking off your, off your shoes and walking around, you can sense a lot from your feet. Um, really fertile soil, um, which is generally really dark in colour, is also really soft underfoot. Um, and you would know that in your garden, say, as well, when you've improved an area and it's really fluffy, um, rich and, yes, it's quite fluffy, isn't it? You can feel that yep. under your boots or under your feet. Um, and also working out whether there's a slope. Um, you can sense that when you're walking around as well. Is the, is the land gently sloping? Are there low points? Um, and, and noticing any breezes and existing shade. And I think it's important if you have got 
trees and building shade to investigate the garden at different times of the day yeah, and even that's a big one times of the mm, year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And again there's some apps that can help us with this. Um, apps that can track shadow lines and give you um, diagrams of your property and how much shade different areas are going to receive. Oh, that's good. Any- time of the year. So there's some really useful apps there. Find My Shadow um, is one, but there's a whole bunch of apps that will help with that. Dear, mm, that's um, one I hadn't heard of before, Lisa, I must say. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's a few things. Um, and then I think we re- the next step, if we're doing this seriously, is to document the site. And we do this by developing a, a site plan. And there are a few great tips for listeners. Um, one of the resources they can use is the aerial maps of their property, uh, which you can access through Intramaps, which is access through your local council. So knowing um, who your local council is is your first point. You go to that website and look up um, online mapping or Intramaps um, through that. And there's also measuring tools there. So you can look at your site and then you can save a PDF of the site to a certain scale, um, which becomes a really useful tool uh, for your base plan. Um, I do a bit of this, but I also recommend actually grabbing the tape measures and graph paper and documenting um, those measurements as well out in the garden. Um, So um, for that, you'll need some sort of board to lean on or a clipboard, pencils, ruler and a sheet of graph paper. Mm. Um, to really thoroughly document that. So um, as mentioned, I do a bit of both. When I'm heading out to see a client, I'll look firstly on the aerial and get a sense of the scale and what's involved and even do a very basic um, outline and then I can add further details when I'm on site. Yeah. Um, in terms of scale, um, a good scale to work with, I think, for anyone starting out, and, and I use this for most of my gardens, is a scale of 1 to 100. Um, so a centimetre on your page equals 100 centimetres or a metre in the garden. Um, so that helps us. Yeah, that's that's easy one to follow. Mm. And yeah. a metre is relatively, well, roughly one step, one large right. One good, step. good pace. <laughs> so if you're stepping out of garden, like mm. stretching, mm. well, stretching your legs, in my case, a little bit, a bit m- yep. more than if you were just walking, and that's a rough metre. That's right. So in, in terms of, um, you know, initially you might pace it to work out um, how big the space is and then working out how it's going to fit on your page. Um, you might need to, you know, orientate the page to suit. Mm. But I do recommend getting the tape measures out to um, to accurately document that. Um, and that's going to be fine for most gardens. Um, for really small properties, you might choose a different scale. Um, one centimetre might equal half a metre. Mm. Um, and that will look bigger on the page. And that's really good if you're looking at a courtyard area. Um, but for most gardeners, I think the 1 to 100 is perfect. And rather than trying to tackle the whole property, um, some some designers will try and, or some gardeners will try and tackle the whole property and that becomes, I think, a bit daunting. Mm. And, um, of course, autumn's a great time, but there's a lot of people wandering around their gardens now, not not happy with 
with one part of it. Yeah. So they might get out there this week, yeah. do a bit of homework and choose one one section, section that you want to, to do work a bit on. of a red eye on. Mm. Yeah, great idea. And I reckon those areas where you're either entertaining or your kind of front entry statement, yeah. uh, an area that you look at a lot or you spend a lot of time in would be a great place to start. start. Yeah, agree, mm. absolutely. Very exciting, Lisa. So I reckon I for, yep. for people embarking on this, right, once yep. they've done that, what What's the next thing that we will talk about next week? So what can they start uh, yeah. thinking about? Okay. So once they've got their, their base plan and they've, and I reckon actually adding in the house is important for that too, adding mm. in a fixed structure as a reference point. But once they've got that information documented, doors and windows um, and notes of things that they've, they've observed like vistas and views while doing that, then I reckon next week um, in the meantime, be collecting images of mm. gardens that you like um, because next week we're going to talk about finding inspiration. Oh, so that's the fun bit, I think. Place, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Images and notes of things that they've observed, like vistas and views while doing that. Then I reckon next week, um, in the meantime, be collecting images mm. of gardens that you like um, because next week we're going to talk about finding inspiration. Oh, so that's the fun place, bit, I think. Place, yeah, 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 absolutely. But, you know, I, I look around my garden at the moment and, and what I've done and I'll stand somewhere and I'll look through and I'll think, oh, okay, I can actually see the end of that pathway and it needs a point um, to lock your eyes your in, eye. you know, um, mm, a, a statue or a feature. There's another area that's got a wood pile, but I can see the neighbour's roof and I'm thinking, hmm. Need to block mm. that out, you know, just, yeah, yes. that end, well, it's that borrowed landscape, but I want all yeah. my my vistas to be picture perfect. Oh, gorgeous. And you <laughs> notice with a straight path like that too, your eye does tend to run straight to the end, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, like it does. Mm -hmm. No, my paths are not straight, Lisa. <laughs> not, I, yeah, I'm a, a meandering path person. Brilliant. That mm. creates lots of interest. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Awesome. Well, this is very mm. exciting. I hope our listeners are, are getting ex inspired too. They mm. might want to up, up the ante on some of their little garden pockets. Oh, there's always something to do, isn't there, in the garden? Always. Mm. About gardening. And, Lisa, yeah. if uh, listeners ever want to get in contact with you, are you still doing uh, workshops and things like that? Uh, yes, I, I do. I'm running um, the garden design workshop at Home Base. And okay. There's another one coming up um, soon. Um, so listeners can, can look at that one on the Home Base Home website. Base, okay. Yep, good, good. Yep. Um, yes, and various bits and pieces. Quite a few things, obviously, have been postponed at the moment but ah yes um, I, I yeah. do often do talks so. yeah that's good um, and your website is inspired by nature it is yes okay, I'm, so people I'm can go there too. doing a little bit of garden design work now in the term break because I'm a full-time lecturer now at TAFE good grief um, so yeah. loving yeah. meeting the next generation of horticulturalists and gardeners and landscapers gee that must be very satisfying for you it is actually it yeah, is so and really inspiring yeah, That's yeah. Great, great people, yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. All right, young lady, we'll let you carry on with your weekend and we look forward to right. instalment two next Saturday mm. morning. <laughs> Thank you very much, lovely. Lisa. That was lovely. Thanks, Faye. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, Have a good morning. Yeah, take care. Keep okay. well. Right. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you.
Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great, thank you. How are you, Faye and Ray? Very good, Very Lisa. well. Happy excited, to report. Yes. Excited <laughs> to be talking to you today and I've done my homework. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Looking forward to chatting you today. All about finding inspiration. Yeah. Which is one of my favourite, favourite topics to talk about. Fabulous. So um, we were continuing our conversation on uh, garden design and, and those steps that, that listeners can take when they're looking to design their own spaces. Yeah, where do you and start to get inspiration? Yeah. Yes. Well, I think um, we can look at some of those garden themes and styles, first of all. So things like um, perhaps the flora for fauna garden is a very popular concept in the garden where we're growing plants to attract birds and wildlife into our gardens. Um, which certainly makes for an exciting um, and ever-changing garden. Or if you're designing for a family, then a family-friendly garden, looking at non-toxic plants, um, mm. not so spiky, more more edible plants, things that the kids can, can graze on. Um, you know, we, <laughs> my daughter loves to go out into our garden and check on the strawberries and harvest blueberries and gooseberries and, and it's lovely having a garden that, that kids can do that in, a garden that's safe, um, that they can wander around and, and have that time communing with nature as well. It's very good for the kids. Mm. Um, but there's so many garden styles, isn't there? Um, oh, how would you there describe is. your your garden say what would you how would you describe yours oh well biodiversity and <laughs> lovely and I love my garden rooms so definitely habitat is something mm. that probably initially it didn't start out that way like we we bought four acres and what I wanted to do was have theme garden rooms mm. and I also thought funnily enough that maybe one day the property would help pay for itself so using plants that could maybe be sold off or or uh, go into floral arrangements or be sold for foliage but of course I've never done that but you know all those sort of ideas that I had when I was starting out in the garden yeah, that's fantastic. And I think having a starting out with a list of, of what you want mm. from the space, um, flowers for picking is a, is a great thing to include. And, uh, and wow, what a great space to play with, four acres. Mm. You're yeah. so lucky. That's brilliant. So I only have a small garden, Lisa. So when I had yeah. my garden put down uh, about 18 months, two years ago thereof, 18 months, I should say, I, my theme was romantic. That was the theme, yeah. That was the style of garden that I chose because I like movement in my garden. I like my ornamental grasses and I like coloured foliage. I also like fragrance mm. and I have all of those things now. And, okay. yeah, and, so, and, and then um, we moved on, obviously, which is one of the our next questions is colour schemes or themes. Yeah. 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 So for, some, for some listeners, um, you know, the, the, the themes and styles of Mediterranean, tropical, cottage, formal, yeah. modern, um, might not necessarily gel with them straight away. For some, yeah. they will. But for others, it's going to be it's going to be words that evoke those feelings. So things yeah. like the romantic garden. So uh, I in- encourage people to write down their, what most appeals to them of those, those themes or even look at words that connect with the feelings that they want to create. Mm. Um, but we've got so much scope, haven't we? And it's, oh. sometimes the challenge is narrowing it down. Well, Lisa, mm. I found one of the 
the things I did early on was to flick through magazines and cut out pictures yeah. of things I like yeah. and put them in a scrapbook. And because I didn't know, you know, I didn't have the keywords, but yeah. in the end, I I came up with a style of garden that I wanted, say, so, around the pool. I end up with a tropical look garden around the pool, but then it had to fit the mm. needs of, I don't want too much leaf drop, yeah. uh, low maintenance, yeah. uh, low water. Yeah. And, you know, there were a lot of plants that, that could fit that category. There are. In, in fact, I often say to, to my students as well uh, and clients, you know, show me pictures of gardens that you like yeah. anywhere in the world and we can kind of distill the the, the mood or the, the style from those images and uh, and offer suggestions of plants that will grow in our climate that'll yeah. give you that look. And so, we've got lots of moths. Yeah. And for me with colour, Lisa, I chose yep. the theme of uh, shades of orange and mauve, blues and mauves. Yeah, those are ah. the colours that I wanted to focus on. Mm. They're very complementary colours as well on the yeah. colour wheel. Yeah, so that's what so. it was built around, those, those colours. Brilliant, mm. having a scene. And having images is great. So photos from the, from the magazines. Um, I use things like Pinterest and Instagram yes. um, a lot, and that's a great way to communicate with, with that um, second or third party on you know, the visuals that, that they're drawn to. So mm. um, wherever you get the photos from, having that collection, um, that scrapbook or that mood board, yeah. um, getting it closer to the sense of what you want. Um, and then thinking about, you know, we talked about colour, but thinking also about um, when do you want that colour or that, that drama or that, you know, the garden to be really looking amazing. And for a pool garden... You want to time that with when you're using the pool most. So yeah. spring and summer um, would be its its season. But what what are the seasons for the other parts of the garden? Uh, and do you want to have something all year round? Yeah. Whether it's colour from foliage or or floral display, um, and that's one way we can get a garden that has no off season. If we're looking at the the foliage and the leaf textures and colours we can get that interest all year round as well. So, and I guess for people uh, who've already got an established garden, maybe having mm -hmm. another look at that garden and looking how how it can be value added, maybe some of the, the yeah. shrubs that have grown into trees can be then under pruned and more plants can be put in to create more contrast or to jazz it up for a special event like a wedding or Christmas and really adding Absolutely. something that pops. And that can be done either if you're running out of space then bringing in some, some feature pops. Um, and, and Ray, I heard you mention baskets before. That's a way that we can add those pops of, of colour for yeah. special events too. And, and things like Easter, I'll be heading to the nursery myself this morning to, <laughs> to pick up some, some colour. Some instant colour, yes. Yes. <laughs> and yes. for gifts as well, I think a nice low-calorie gift. Yes. <laughs> Yes, um, would be would be fun too. So, um, I think that some of the questions that we need to look at when we're looking at you know, creating a wish list for the new space. Mm. Um, some of the key points are, you know, what do you want if you're starting from scratch and you've got an, an, an opportunity to create a new garden? What do you want to to do in that space? Is it for entertaining or relaxing, reading a book? Um, so writing down all those things you want to do in the garden. Um, how do you want to feel 
in the garden? Um, do you want to feel energised? Um, do you want to feel relaxed? You know, mm. there's a whole spectrum of different emotions that we can connect with. Um, and what do you want from the garden? Do you want to be able to eat it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, or, or swim in it or look at it or whatever it might be. So mm. writing down um, those thoughts. I guess for um, me, I wanted a showy yeah. garden. I wanted a garden that's, yeah. you know, a show-style a show garden, but something that I could relax in my own little sanctuary. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, magic. And those colours that, that are meaningful and significant to you, mm. um, you know, make you feel happy as well. Yeah. Um, so and and what a you know amazing thing to have a garden that's tailored specifically for you and uh, whether this is done by the garden owner or by mm. a professional yeah um, having thought through these these processes makes makes their job much easier too and then um, a designer half their job is trying to get inside the client's head so yeah. they can give the client exactly what they want and and create a space they absolutely love. Um, I was wondering as well, the other, other inspiration, way we can find inspiration is to go out and, and visit gardens. Mm. Uh, and I wonder what, what inspiring gardens have you been to lately? I don't think I've been to any gardens lately. <laughs> I know you have, Faith. I have on Sunday yeah. as um, one of the things I love about the Perth Garden Club, which I joined over 20 years ah. ago, was a garden that we saw on Sunday. And it was um, put on the program by the committee and it was Lorraine from Cottage Garden Circle and she had a, a beautiful garden and, mm. and I shared that on the, the ah. Facebook group. Um, but it, it was just really lovely. It was uh, a big garden, big property, and yep. there were spaces to wander in. So, mm. yeah, just the way it had been put together and... You know, whenever I go to these gardens, I go home and and I want to play in my garden and I want to make my garden better because I've come away with ideas and inspiration and energy, you know. And energy. They do energise you. And I think um, I saw a really colourful garden last year up in Wanneroo and it's it's not something that I would have, but I came away with ideas and thought, okay, this these colours go together. This can be really exciting, and it just make it gave you energy just being in this colour. Mm. Yeah, it's very uplifting. So that yeah. was different gardens evoke different emotions out of you, don't yes. they? So that was one of the Open Gardens WA have had some amazing gardens, and they one have. that really changed my thinking was Ross Burnett's garden in Swanview, I think, when oh, I came yeah. home. And I just wanted to clip things. And I looked at those photos again last night. And, you know, the it was like a tapestry. And so I've come away and, and realised that perhaps the gardens that I love are the ones where all the ground is covered mm. and it's yeah. just masses of plants with different contrasts and textures and shapes. And uh, mm. if you've got lots of shrubs in your garden and that they might be a bit unruly, like taming them with some clippers mm. can just yep. change the look. Any garden that appears uh, well cared for and loved 
looks good. Always looks good, yeah. yeah. And I know when my designer came a couple of years ago, she said, you know what, Ray, I'm really worried that I've overplanted, like I've got too much in this. And I said, never, never, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> but that's what yeah. we love like when we, garden lover. we yeah. see these show gardens at festivals and Melbourne Flower and Garden yeah. Show. There is no yeah. dirt you just yeah. see wall-to-wall plants. I don't know if that's realistic yeah. to create in your own garden because mm. one thing we have to be mindful of is how much things grow. Yeah. Another inspiring yeah. garden that we saw in the Open Garden Scheme was Janine Mendel's garden. Mm. And that was just a Tropical blend garden. of textures mm. and colour yeah. and foliage and layers. And, and also she had feature walls in the backdrop of colour, mm. which I thought was a really interesting touch. We're taking over here, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm jotting down notes. <laughs> but, uh, I think in Janine's garden, yeah, that was what was very yeah. interesting is the backdrop and the way that she'd done very beautiful feature wall colours and you don't just have to have yeah. a plain colour. You can paint a wall so that the garden yeah. actually pops. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't have to be... Vibrant. Yeah, and I think one of those walls was like a deep pumpkin colour. You know, it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. the generic dark colours that people go for. I've seen beautiful gardens where the backdrop has been a sort of a, a strong pinky purple colour and, mm -hmm. the, garden, and, the, and yeah. the green against that was just like, whoa, and it looked amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Picking gotta... up something, probably picking up a colour of some foliage or yeah. a flower in the garden, and sort of celebrating that. There's only so much scope there. But visiting gardens, we can we can learn so much. Um, looking mm. at how different different gardeners resolve challenges in the space, or how yeah. they draw your eye, um, the combinations they use, planting combinations, we can get lots of inspiration. Um, so that's really important and, and looking at the open garden scheme, open garden WA, um, visiting those gardens or even just driving through the suburbs and noticing a really nice planting scheme um, and asking yourself what is it about that that really inspires you, what, what gels with you or likewise you might see things that, you know, that might not work for you and that's all part of that process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to know what you don't like as well. Well, and yeah. if you can't get out, there's um, YouTube. So you Google a couple of your keywords and you can find all so sorts much. of things. Mm. But today, Garden Gurus at 4.30 on Channel 9, they have got arid exotics. So that could be a different different style concept. It fits with the water-wise wow. theme. And, Ray, yeah. your garden's been on there numerous times in the background. Mm. Yeah, recently. Wow. Yeah. Um, so once you've got your, your your wish list and you're thinking about the space, and hopefully you've been inspired by either a particular word or mood or or a garden theme, mm. um, then it's starting to to look at the elements that comprise of that, the plants as well, and then having a look at those plants, making making a note of the plants that you've shortlisted yeah. and have a look at those um, in the nursery. And, and the, the big trick, and, and this is what garden designers do intuitively but can be learnt by anyone, is to then visualise how those plants will look fully mm. grown. Yeah. Um, and then visualising them together in those combinations. So mm. um, that's something you can train your brain to do. Yes, um, yeah, you need a trained eye, don't you? Mm. <laughs> you do. And um, of but course, it does become intuitive, yep. 
looking at those plants, Lisa, knowing the size, being aware of the size that they're going to grow to, the aspect, is it actually going to fit with the amount of sun, winter and summer and and temperature? So frost might be an issue. The soil. And where shade falls. Shade falls, that's a big one. And water. Does it? So it's like there's another checkbox that you've got to go through when you find the plant that you like. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Yeah. So the first step is figuring out the look, and then it's it's doing your research and getting as much information as you can. And the best way, rather than relying on Google for plant information, is to talk to your local horticulturist or your local landscaper and ask them how big, how wide, and what conditions does my plant actually um, need or, or grow to um, in this area. And that's where we, we really rely on our, our local knowledge um, for that because Google will give you, you know, when you're, when you're doing those searches, um, plant information around the world or even around the country will vary significantly for what it does here in Perth. Exactly. You do see some wonderful garden uh, shows on TV, but they're not in Perth. <laughs> mm. And they look amazing and, you know, they have, you know, the, the magnificent maples and this and that and you think, well, it's all right yeah. where you guys are, but we can't have that. <laughs> Mm. No, it's quite a lot different. So starting with an inspiration, and if it's if it's colourful foliage, then that's one of your one of your things to explore and and, and get that local advice. So talking to your local garden centres um, as well. They're going to be busy this weekend. I uh, well, they should be. People should be getting out and supporting their their local nursery. And I I know like when you talk about finding inspiration, places like Xantharia actually have a garden that you can wander mm. and you can yeah. see. So if you're after a native garden. That would be one place to go, or Kings Park. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Or looking at the natural bush and and taking a walk through one of the the open parks, playgrounds, rapids. Looking at what's happening at the different seasons too, because you'll have washes Mm. of different colour coming through those local reserves and parks and and native bush areas. They, They have these wonderful flushes of seasonal colours, you almost need to go, you know, four times a year at least. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, what a wonderful mission to be on. (laughs) Finding inspiration. Inspiration this weekend, (laughs) I think so. (laughs) So next week we're talking about selecting the palette, Lisa? Yes, yes. So looking at all the the elements. So hopefully by then people have had a chance to think about... Catch up, um, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Okay, we look forward to that. We wish you and all of yours a happy Easter. Keep keep safe and stay healthy. Thank and thank you for your wisdom this morning. We appreciate it very much. Thank you, Lisa. My pleasure. Enjoy the garden. <laughs> yes. Thanks, love. Take care. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Bye. Bye. Oh, good morning. I am good, thank you. And How are we all this morning? Great. Sorry for making you wait there. Appreciate your patience. (laughs) We've been enjoying our little segment with you each week. It's been very inspiring and we appreciate how thorough you are with your preparation. You're a a pro girl, aren't you? You're very professional. Thank you, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm amongst professionals here, so, yep. Oh, that's good to know. So where are we up to now, Lisa? Well, so we're looking, we're week three, where last week we talked about finding inspiration, exploring garden themes and styles, 
and matching those descriptive words that evoke the mood or the style of your dream garden with images or photos of gardens. This week, we're going to be looking at selecting the palette. Um, But I think it's really important that we preface that conversation with a comment on gardening in Perth. Um, We have... So we might be stating the obvious here, but we have some of the poorest, most nutrient depleted soils in the world, aren't we lucky? Very. And, <laughs> and um, we are seeing a trend towards hotter, drier summers, and we certainly experienced that just yes. just gone with the hottest summer on record in a long time. Yes. Um, so I think this this knowledge really has to be at the forefront of of our garden selections and choices and, and when we're choosing plants for our gardens and when we're thinking about our soil prep because I, I do say that gardens don't happen in Perth by accident. Um, yeah. We have to put in some planning and and careful preparation. So, um, But it is possible to have beautiful gardens in Perth and we've certainly, we've certainly seen some great examples. Um, and one of, I think, the best climate-appropriate choices that we can make is to look at planting Australian plants. Yeah, and and even better local plants. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Less than you know. Did you know that less than ten percent of Perth gardens grow local native plants? Less than ten percent. Yeah, it's very low figure. Mm. It's pretty crazy. So, yeah, and yet you know, you say so you've seen there's some amazing plants oh. that we can choose from out there. So yes. many. Um, you know, and I think we've got a lot to learn from them, but. I mean, the the easy upside, of course, is we can get inspiration from the bushland around us and yes. the fact that they are such a habitat for our local wildlife. Mm. Uh, and, yeah. we, and we don't get calls about um, pest problems with our local native species, Lisa. Yeah. No, Funny that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of ticks um, there that people, mm. we're not, you don't tend to promote as much as we should. Yeah, and the plant breeders have been working so hard on developing um, new and and more exciting forms and forms with with longer flowering periods and um, there's lots of amazing Australian plants there and Kings Park have been um, a a big hand in in developing those new cultivars. Um, All the buzz around the new kangaroo paws recently. Yes. Um, Yep. I'm sure you've you've heard about the the new colour forms coming through. <laughs> I've heard gra- of them. Gra- yeah, I've, I've grabbed about six of them, Lisa. <laughs> I have one. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Pretty exciting time to be yeah, very exciting Australian plant. Yeah. Yes. And at the very least, I, I do hope that listeners are looking at selecting water-wise plants for their gardens. Mm. And I just thought when we when we're talking talking plants, the term. Waterwise encompasses our local and Australian native plants as well as plants from similar climatic zones. Mm. So waterwise also includes plants from the Mediterranean region, yes. um, from the Cape region of South Africa, yes. um, from California, central Chile, um, and specifically in Australia, we're looking at our West Australian, Southwest and South Australian plants. Um, provide us with some good water-wise options, mm. uh, and that's the thing that I think some that needs clarification because some yeah. think Australian plants are all water-wise, but if they're coming from a tropical part of Australia, they're going to have different requirements, absolutely, um, and, and greater need for water. So. And, yeah, and an important to point that out, Lisa. So thank you. 
Actually, that's an, that could be another four-week class on its own, you <laughs> true, know, because true. we we do have problems mm. when we go to our local garden centre. And distinguishing. And, well, we look at mm. the, the stand that says native plants, and I can tell you not everything on those stands is West Australian, for yeah. starters. No, no, yeah. no. So that would be local if you're looking for West Australian. Um, or, or specifically local to your area, but um, mm. yeah, so it, it does get a bit confusing. But mm. we're here to help, aren't we? <laughs> we we sure are. <laughs> um, and in terms of the, the palette, another big factor in in um, local or in gardens is is the conversation about lawn, and um, I think it needs to be given careful consideration about how it where it's placed, what is the usage requirement. Um, and how much is needed. And I was talking with a client just this week about lawns and it being a designated area um, and not using it as as infill or for pathways. Mm. Um, I love a good lawn. It, it, how yeah. good does it feel under underfoot? Beautiful. Under bare feet. And it's um, so important for play. And if you've got kids or grandkids or pets. Yes. Um, but how much do we really need? Um, and do we really need it on the verge? Well, I think uh, not. On well, the verge. in some <laughs> cases, some of the suburbs, the the front areas are so small, the the street gets clogged up with cars. Yeah. Whereas if you're you you know you want to have people over and you have regular visitors, the lawn can double as a parking area. So, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. it's. It's not the main use, but it's certainly mm. a useful use. So just having uh, enough of a strip yeah. out the front to get your visitors off the the road and keep the mm. access way clearer. You're I, I'm I'm confused, but okay, that's that's not unusual. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I I understand what you're saying, but I, I absolutely, Lisa, love the idea of Verge Gardens. I'm huge fan of that. I think yeah. everyone should have, you know, their verges planted out. I've got mine planted out. Mm. Mm, yes, brilliant. And we do too. And look, having, if you've got regular parking on the verge going on, yeah. um, then your lawn is going to suffer. If you've got lawn on the verge, it's going to get compacted from those vehicles ongoingly if it's a regular occurrence. But um, with some of my clients, we've factored in space to, to park a car um, amongst gardens. So using pavers or compacted um, non-slippy material under where the tyre tracks go, but putting in ground covers between and, and low things. So there's, there are lots of opportunities there, I think, and we can factor in parking as well if we need to. Mm -hmm. um, but my thinking with verges, you know, it's, it's that there's a, a lot of water and a lot of upkeep required for a lawn on a verge when when we can we can get creative there we can we can have beautiful seasonal color displays they can be havens for wildlife they can be corridors connecting remnant bush areas with each other these little you know remnant bush areas of our local plants are getting increasingly fragmented and isolated so planting out verges can help with that too um, and we talked a bit was it week one about the borrowed landscape yeah. If we do integrate our verge um, in our landscape thinking, then we can extend our real estate as well. Mm, it looks yes. like our yard is much bigger. Um, yeah. 
But there are things we need to think about if we're looking at the verge area, um, looking at your local shire guidelines. Knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And that can vary, can't it? It can, yeah. They do vary a little bit, but generally they're happy for a plant to be under seven, you know, usually under half a metre, 50 centimetres, or under 70 centimetres, depending on where you are. And that's not talking about the street tree. That's just looking at the understory plantings and no spiky, prickly things and making sure that pedestrians can step safely off, off the road, the road onto the verge yeah. Mm. yeah onto the verge there so lots of lots of options there but i like that idea of extending the landscape absolutely <laughs> and I, I know with our area uh, another factor was you couldn't have uh materials or freestanding like rocks or uh, you know, yeah, trip no hazards, hazards and right. yeah. and the verge had to be kept one metre from the road. So yeah, that had to be, clear you know, that could yeah. be mulch or, well, it could be mulch, really nothing else. Or a, a ground cover, sorry for the croak, a ground cover that doesn't trip people up, so a very, very flat ground cover that can mm. be walked on in the way that we can with lawn as well. Mm. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a strip. You know, we can get a bit creative with that, having that one metre spacing for the yeah. pedestrian to yeah. step onto. So I know in my yeah. case we've got people parking there, so I, I just make that first metre, that's mulch, and then my garden or plantings beyond go beyond that. Nice. Yeah. My verge is different to most people's. <laughs> but you're a, it, again, other... it's property. Yeah. You know, yes. if, in a suburban situation, it's a different scenario. But the council's yeah. regulations are the same in Coburn. Mm. So if that was in suburbia, I you believe the restriction have... would be the yeah. same. Okay. Mm. Yeah, understood. Good to check with your local shire and what their guidelines are. And most local shires are really encouraging of of residents planting out um, native plants and often do a plant for resident program where they give free tube stock um, yeah. to get gardens started um, for verge areas. So worth checking in with that. And um, the plants for residents programs are very, very popular and uh, they run out of plants very quickly. So you want to be in the know. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the other big consideration, so lawn's an important one to, to think about and to you know work out how much is actually required, what's going to be used and where. And when we talk about that, that play aspect, it's not as if we send our little ones out to the edge of the road um, mm. to play, not no. in this day and age anyway. Correct. The other big... <laughs> the other big consideration is uh, is a tree. When we're selecting the planet a palette, what what is um, what tree will you choose? Um, Faye and Ray, I wonder have you got some, have you got some favourite trees? Well, <laughs> yes, and I can't just do one, Lisa. And because we're talking about natives, I'm going to stick to the program on that. My okay, favourite right. tree yep. on our property that I would look you know want to look after is the eucalyptus maculata and it's the biggest tree on our property a spotted gum i've photographed eagles up there the rainbow bee eaters have roosted in there overnight and it's just oh it's got the most beautiful trunk that changes through the year and it's huge 
magnificent. That's a real guardian of your garden, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But my my next favourite and one that I probably use more often, as Ray will know, is the eucalyptus cinerea, and that's the argol apple or yep. silver dollar. And I often um, cut it back, and the new growth is just shooting out now. So I've clipped a basket full and brought it in today. Oh, how magnificent. They mm. look so good in a vase, don't they? they yeah, sure they do. do. I love it. So for me, <clears throat> my sorry about my voice. Um, for me, I have three beautiful silver birches, which I am in love with. Uh, and they, they went down into the ground about 18 months ago, and they're doing fabulously well. I have an acacia fit. Fettuccine, oh, yes. which was sitting in a pot for many years, and I popped it into the ground. And in the last eighteen months, it's quadrupled its canopy. It's just so happy. But of course, with the acacia, I do know it has a, a limited lifespan, so that that concerns me somewhat. Um, but that's absolutely one of my faves. And I have a silver princess as well, mm. and that oh. is, an, you know, so that, again, that's another favourite. <laughs> I can't separate them all. Uh, and of course, I have or did have um, a crepe myrtle. I have trouble with one, and I'm going to replace it with a new crepe myrtle, but do love the crepe myrtles in the garden as well. I think they're a fabulous tree. What's your favourite, Lisa? Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's like choosing children. You can't know. favourite. Well, give me top three. <laughs> and it, it depends on day to day, actually. Exactly. Today, um, now. <laughs> yes, right now, right now, outside, I've got a real random selection. I'm looking at a curry leaf tree, yes. which we adore. We use that in our cooking. It's, it's a more of a, a shrub slash long tree. Yeah. Um, so good for small spaces, actually. And uh, my husband makes the most amazing curry um, dal. And oh, I love dal. Mm. Stems of that each, each time. Um, I've got a frangipani that I rescued um, from a cutting that's flowering in my outside my study window right now. And just around the corner, we've got, um, we've just planted a lime green coloured agonis, ah. um, willow peppermints. So it's um, eclectic, but I, and I, I love, yeah, I love all trees. Yeah. I can see jacaranda, um, yeah, just, just love them all. <laughs> so for our listeners, if they're planning, yeah, they've got to really drill down on that, don't they, of the tree yeah. selection, because that's a big one yeah. in your garden. Oh, it's so important because and choosing a tree that's proportionate to the space is really, yeah. really key. And the space that you've got, and also making sure that they're an appropriate space away from buildings, leach drains, and so on. And, and we really could fill a whole on that alone talking yeah. about trees yeah. and and the benefits of trees. And I, I, I do think that every Every garden has room for a tree or a tree-like plant. Um, they they give us so much. Everything from from their shade, um, pollution, um, pollution filtering, air conditioning, their benefits to human health and well-being is um, hugely documented. Um, they in the garden context they do provide microclimate, and they're the starting point I think for your your garden planning. Um, yeah. So there's yeah, and there's lots to choose from, and we really could talk a lot about all the benefits. Um, just looking out onto onto nature um, helps people's mood, well-being, health, um, hit their recovery time if they're in 
if they're recovering from from surgery or they're in hospital looking yes. after the garden yes uh, makes a big difference there too yes so, i've, I've experienced that myself yeah. lisa and i cannot um, express how important it came to me to be able to you're in bed you know you're recovering from something and you can look out your window and see movement and color and i used to stare at it for hours and it was so therapeutic yeah Uh, totally totally relate to that and as i'm sure many many people do uh there's so many angles and and important uh, reasons uh, for gardening and uh, for our well-being yeah so Lisa during the week Tim has sent us in photos of his garden and he he called us last week uh, looking for help now you've kindly uh, done a little bit of work for this and this is a great example of selecting the palette so tell us uh, where you're up to with this yeah so it is a great example um, when we're talking about plant selection it really depends on the theme that you're exploring and um, Tim and Lynn have sent in some some great photos and they've even done some measurements as well but we don't know what theme they like so my suggestions for them are, are based on the information we've been given which is that it's south facing the, the front of the house yeah. uh, receiving morning sun um, Tim has said, uh, Tim and Lynn have said they'd like a hedge, but they confess they're not gardeners. But they did mention they wanted flowering shrubs and they mentioned they wanted a purple red foliage ground cover. So, what I'm suggesting for them is a diversity of plant species, um, looking at water wise plants that will flower and grow well in this location. What I'm suggesting is rather than a formalised hedge, which if it, you know, misses a pruning or if a plant dies it looks a bit like a missing tooth yeah exactly Um, yeah so um, i'm going to suggest an informal planting arrangement but using a plant um, the bakia um, bakia vagata miniature which is a really lovely dome-shaped shrub naturally dense and rounded in its form doesn't need clipping or pruning it can be trimmed but it doesn't need it Mm. and it's got beautiful small white flowers in summertime and I'm suggesting along with that some some variegated flax lily around the post box and putting in a paver there to to access the mail Um, for a purple foliage ground cover I'm suggesting the Altanansera little ruby um, which is water-wise, not specifically Australian, but a water-wise, um, beautiful purple accent foliage. Yeah, it's a total a total winner, yes. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. And grows well from cuttings too. It does. Um, <laughs> and um, we're stringier lilac and lace yes. um, towards the front of the house. Um, and that's a lovely mauve flowering plant with a beautiful foliage as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, and then to finish it off, some native Daphne. This is the um, got beautiful fragrant foliage. Um, it's a Philotheca, Philotheca flower girl. And it's also, I've just put some in my garden um, earlier in the year as well because it's wonderful in, a, in an arrangement. Um, the flowers oh. and the foliage smell amazing. Um, if Tim and Lynn wanted more colour and more bird attracting, then I'd switch the Dianella for some kangaroo ball yeah. and potentially switch the bakia for some native fuchsia, which is the Coria, um, which really brings the birds in. So 
couple of ideas there and we can send that through to Tim and Lynn. But it's a bit of a challenge designing without meeting someone. So, yes, of course. Um, You've done an amazing job above and beyond. They're very lucky listeners to have this little plan as, as an mm. example. So Tim and Lynn, I will send this plan uh, to you later today uh, and you can have a look at it. But those, those plant selections, yes, uh, the tick from me, Lisa, the Bakia Vegata is just one of my favourites. You can't go past the little ruby. Uh, so, and these the lilac and lace is also mm. stunning as well. I love the variegated foliage and the, they're bulletproof. And that's yeah. the, you know Tim said to us that he wasn't a gardener, and so these are plants that have been chosen that once planted will virtually look after uh, themselves. Yeah, most mm. important. Yes. Very easy care, yes. So I'm mindful that we're really just skimming the surface here, aren't we, talking about the topic of garden design. Um, what we can't easily cover on the radio is the principles of garden design, the elements of garden design. All we can do here really is sort of wet the palette and hopefully inspire people to delve a little deeper. Um, I do run a four-week garden design course at home base. We've got one coming up, I think, in May. Yeah. Um, where we do delve deeper into these topics and we've got great you know, the opportunity of showing visuals to explain those concepts. And there is, of course, an excellent horticulture and landscape design course at TAFE. Um, and I'd love to say a hello, shout out to the students at Murdoch TAFE where I teach. Yes. Uh, I know some of you are listening. Oh, great. Um, yeah. So, so there's opportunities um, there if people would like to take this one step further or certainly uh, the four-week garden design course that you do sounds fantastic. And for those a little more serious, they can come along to one of your TAFE courses and learn yeah. even more. Yeah, yeah, sounds absolutely wonderful. How do people get in contact with you that way? Just Can they go to your website? Um, so, uh, yes, I do have a website. If they're interested in the home-based courses, then I'd go straight to home-based home base, websites. Yep. Um, and the TAFE courses, straight to the TAFE website. There's lots of information there. And you know, how good would it be to have... Oh, dear. Sorry. oh I know. We're, we're shocking, aren't we, this we'll morning? Ta I'll take over from you for a minute if you want to catch your breath, Linda. <laughs> yeah. What, what I was going to say um, to Tim is that you know, we've chosen plants that are Western Australian natives, but if that's not your style, or actually one of the reasons I would go for West Australian natives mm. is because there's a lot of places right now to get inspiration. Coming up next weekend is the Open Garden, uh, Robin Linders, and it is Maraginia, a large rambling garden and wildlife-friendly art and display sale, lawn areas for picnics, bird nest boxes and funds support Malaga Wildlife Rescue. So this would be one place you could go and have a look at a native-style garden. And get some ideas. Yep. And there's also oh, yeah. the Northern District's Wildflower Society plant sale is on today from 9 to 2pm at Lansdale Farm, which is on the corner of Evendale and um, Evendale Road in Darch. And Northern District's uh, Orchid Show. Oh, hang on, I'm getting confused here. Um, a pace. We'll be talking to them later, and they've got a sale coming up. So, lots of wildflower-related sales and events events going on. Oh, it's such a great time to get excited about plants and planting, isn't it? Just brilliant. <laughs> sure it's is. always a good time, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
true. All right. Well, we, we have held you from your weekend long enough. You've been absolutely amazing. Thank you very, very much. And uh, as I said, if, if listeners are interested in learning a little more, delving a little deeper, they can go to Homebase and find you there. Your next course comes up in May. Or for those that are even uh, more keen, I, I guess is the word, you do a landscape design mm. course at Murdoch TAFE. Yeah, that's. I'm excited about the idea of more people creating beautiful landscapes around Perth. How good would that be? Yeah, exactly. Put Perth on the map. That's our mission. Absolutely. Excellent. All right, love. Oh, thanks so much, Brilliant. Lisa. You've been great. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You okay. too. Cheers Bye. for that. We must have got her out of bed, did we? Get you out of bed, Lisa. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. <laughs> How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you there? You Very good. <laughs> now, Lisa, it might be my fault because I probably didn't send you a copy of the running sheet today. I thought we were just organised. Oh, good. It's all good. Yeah, all good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely to have you back with us. Lovely to be here. And it looks like being another gorgeous day out there. Yeah, we yes. are. We are blessed. Absolutely. A perfect day for installing a dream garden. <laughs> Absolutely. And how topical is that? <laughs> sure is. So, I really enjoyed um, chatting with you all about the design journey over the last few weeks. Um, I thought I'd just do a very quick recap on what we've covered thus far. Yes, that'd be great. Uh, okay, so week one, we our discussion started with the site assessment and measuring up the garden area, and that's something I'm heading off to do in a little while for a client shortly. Um, then looking at what is happening beyond the garden, um, looking at the aspect and the climatic conditions and using all our senses. Uh, week two, we talked about garden inspiration, thinking about the kind of garden that you want to create and what descriptive words or themes or styles most inspire you and then matching purse-appropriate plants, plants appropriate for our climate, to the look or the vision that you have in mind. Um and we talked about how at any stage, you know, you might want to enlist a, an expert, a local horticulturist or landscape designer uh, for help. And I think that that's fine to, you know, to do some of that prep work and then engage some help because you've already done some of the thinking processes. Yeah. Um, and I do think having thought about what you want and working out your wish list and looking at your garden and, and what appeals to you um, means that you're going to get a better result in the end, whether you're doing it yourself or involving an expert there. Um, week three, we talked about selecting the palette, both um, plants and hardscape materials to um, need to suit the theme, the style that you're exploring. And we chatted a bit about lawn and um, I advised how that needs to be a designed element given as much thought as you would your uh, feature plants um, and rather rather than using it as an infill material uh, or for walkway and we talked about trees how every garden I think needs a tree or a tree like form yeah because some gardens don't have room for big trees but we can we can create that effect can't we with a, an up pruned beautiful shrub that fits the appropriate height um, for our garden, yeah. um, and you know, these for small gardens, a feature tree might also be dual purpose, providing edible fruits mm. or leaves. Uh, and we chatted about the curry leaf and the lemon tree, and I forgot to mention the pomegranate as well, mm. just to name a few. Yes, um, which are, f are fruiting right now. They are. They look great, don't they? 
Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this week it's about installing your dream garden, and um, my emphasis is going to be a bit on the plants. No surprises <laughs> there. <laughs> Um, but the first thing to do would be really um, choosing healthy, disease-free plants and timing your planting close, or timing your plant purchase rather close to the planting time or the planting date, so your plants aren't sitting around in their pots. And I know it's really tempting when we go to a garden centre and we see all these beautiful plants and to purchase them and bring them home and then have them sitting around. I'm mm. sure every gardener... I've done is, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm, big time. Those mm. images. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the problem with that is they, they can fall over, they can dry Yes, out. yes, all of that. Mm. And even if we do all, all the right things mm. at planting time, if they have dried out, yeah. And keeping in mind in the nursery, they're getting watered once or twice a day, um, yeah. depending on the time of year. Um, but if they've dried out to their core and we don't know it and we plant them out and do everything else right, we can still, um, that our gardens can fail if we haven't taken care at that early stage. So I'm a big believer of dunking the plants in their pot uh, in a bucket of water yeah. and even better with some seaweed yes. solution in there as well. And by dunking, I'm just meaning holding that pot down until all the air bubbles stop rising mm, mm. and then pull that out immediately. Don't leave the plants sitting around in buckets of water for any length of time because that's just as bad as drying out. Yeah. Um, so then um, the beauty of that is we can, and, and the tip there is, well, when you're purchasing your plants, you can often feel by weight when you pick up that plant pot, whether it's, moist or dry as well if it feels really light you know it's probably dry so mm. definitely a dunking there and then positioning the plants out on the garden area as per your plan that you've developed and then before you dig the hole step back and visually check the yeah. positioning of those pots because you might want to just tweak one here or make an adjustment there yeah very important to do that right and for new yeah. gardeners there, yes. there is often a front of the plant. Yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> there so is. It's got a best face yeah. forward. Is how I tell my students. Mm. So, examine that, and you want to have that best face forward, facing where you're looking at the garden from, whether it's from the path or from the road, or from your home window. You want to figure out which is the best. Um, face that you want to see and it's so true isn't it it is <laughs> often often the label is placed there that's sometimes a clue but not always well you've worked uh, at worked out where your plant is going on the ground and you've checked it visually and you've turned it around so it's best faces facing your yeah. key line of sight then it's time to dig the holes and the beauty of dunking your plants beforehand is you've got a nice uh, wet circle on the ground where you need to dig and um, then we want to dig the hole twice the volume of the pot. And if you're in a clay or you want to go slightly wider uh, rather than deep, um, so you're not creating a bucket in which it's going to fill up with with water. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and but yet in sandy soil, it's, then it's also really important to mix in some soil improver, whether this is homemade compost. 
uh, or an off-the-shelf bag of soil improver uh, or compost. You want to mix that in with your existing soil at um, 50-50 ratio, half and half. Mm, okay. um, I think it's worth mentioning not to be tempted to use potting mix um, for planting in the ground. Potting mix has been specifically designed uh, with all the right ratio for pots and containers. Uh, and besides, if you're using potting mix in the ground, it's way more expensive. So yes. um, stick with your compost, um, compost or soil improver. Do you like to use clay, Lisa? Uh, yes, absolutely. Mixing some clay in with that compost mm-hmm. uh, is uh, absolutely fantastic. The clay is going to hold all the good nutrients in the soil profile for much longer. And that's something we really have to look at yeah. for, for gardeners on the Swan Coastal Plain. Yes. Do you have a preference for for which clay type, Lisa? Uh, I've got a bunch of different ones. Often it's what I've been given to try out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but I, I, I think any clay is going to be a huge benefit uh, rather than none. And we want to really, it's so important that we have something that's going to hold the nutrient in the soil profile, not let it leach through into our waterways. Um, so at the moment I've got soil solver on the go and it's, it's doing a great job. Yeah, I think Faye and I both prefer the kale and clay versus mm-hmm. the bentonite based on our own experience. Yeah, okay, that's our experience. Well, I've yeah. recently tried some of the bentonite just yeah. to, you know, do this comparison. Um, yeah, but I yeah. And I have found lines where it's just clumped back together and created a layer. So I've got black soil, uh, and then I've got this layer of white. Oh it's just found yeah, each yeah. other, you know, It's and uh, that's what it does. I think it's really important to not, um, for, for other listeners out there, not putting the clay just into the sandy soil. I, I really think it has to be mixed with the compost. Um, yeah. Well, and certainly not put on the soil surface because then you're going to get a clay slick. Yeah, yeah. so mix it through soil. with everything else, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. I generally garden with a bunch of different trug buckets. Yes. One with my um, some wetting agent, one with the clay, one with the compost. Yeah. And drag them around with me as yeah. I'm planting. But that's an established garden. It's going to be different if you're um, doing a whole bed from scratch. You really want to work it all in um, to that whole bed area. Lisa, we have new- had... Veronica yep. sent us an email and she's got a new garden in the southwest and would love some yep. tips dealing with heavy lateritic gravelly soil. Every time she digs a hole wow, with a yeah. crowbar yep. to plant something, part <laughs> of what true. comes out of the hole is gravel rocks, small, medium and large. What tips wow. would you give her? Well, a post-hole digger? <laughs> yes, you do. And, and planting in the cooler weather like now, it gets even harder to get the crowbar in mm. in summertime. Um, I gardened in, in a clay garden at the foothills, um, slightly different area, but foothills of Kalamunda, and it was all stone and gravel. And in that particular area, what I did first was to, and I had, still had a few weeds popping up, so it was a bit of, bit of dirt, not much, um, but I did the blanket mulching of that area. So the, the newspaper, wet newspaper laid thickly, overlapping, and then the mulch on top. And when I came back to dig a hole um, nine months or so later, dug through that and found miraculously I now had soil Mm. just by putting cover, um, putting mulch down on the garden areas. So that would be one approach for areas that she's not ready to plant in yet. 
Um, it's amazing how the, the soil biology will create soil over time um, mm. if you're protecting it and putting a, a layer down. So, mm. yeah, short of um, crowbar and post hole digging and all of those things, um, I, I would recommend coverage, getting mm. the coverage down of the mulch. Um, I guess a no-dig style garden where you're building up above the top and letting it work its way down. For sure, that's the other option too, is to is to is to raise up with your with your mulches and your compost and things. But you don't want it to all blow away as well. So it's, yeah. Um, so when we're we're digging our our holes, I'm a big fan of um, making a bit of a basin. Do you do this, Faye? Around, around, I do. Yes, yeah, and I think that's important in Perth, giving it another mechanism for capturing and holding water Mm. around your your freshly planted plants. And do you do you put your boot in gently around the neck and just stomp it down? Mm. Uh, so I don't do that, and and it's only just because I'm. You know, learning about the the oxygen that's required to the root zone, and if we overly compress the soil, we can squeeze out that precious oxygen. So, I tend to advise um, gloved fingers pushing the soil in okay. around the root ball rather than our boots. And we all used to do boots um, <laughs> to, <laughs> to push the soil back in, but yeah, now I'm advising the gloved fingers just pushing it hard and watering it in after you've planted will also help eliminate any big air pockets for sure um, yeah because we know that our roots will not grow into big air pockets mm. um, so that's that's useful and i when you're doing lots of little plants little tube stock which is it's a great time of year to do that now i save some of my bigger empty plant pots and upturn them over my freshly planted tube pots before I lay the mulch down. Mm. Um, often we, we can lose those little seedlings if we don't have some kind of cover over them yeah. as we you know, tip our barrow load of mulch. Yes. Um, and then once we've spread our mulch evenly and level, um, we can then re- remove our empty plant pots that are over our small plants yeah. and reveal them underneath all perfectly spaced with um, the mulch not engulfing them. So... Um, and that's one of the other tips for gardeners too, and I'm sure you've mentioned um, about not having the mulch up around the plant. Mm. So we've got to have that gap, don't we? Yeah. And of course, mulch is the, the finishing. It's the finale, isn't it? You get to oh, stand it, back and so just it. go, voila. Yes. And at every stage, making sure your soil is level. So levelling the ground before you put the mulch down and then levelling the mulch thoroughly gives you that really professional finish. finish. I'm sure we've all seen gardens where they're all sort of lumpy and bumpy and... Um, Done roughly. Yeah, yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So that, that and they've just touch. tipped out bags of stuff and <laughs> almost left it yeah. like that. It's terrible. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, you know, mm. that's not a, not a professionally done. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Um, there's a few different thoughts on uh, on fertiliser at planting time, and I'm interested to hear uh, your views too on, on that. So a lot of lot of gardeners just automatically put fertiliser in the planting hole at planting time, but I think we need to stop and look at uh, at that at that technique that method, uh, because a lot of the times when we're planting it, we're coming into like now, coming into the cooler weather, where the plant's going to start, most plants start slowing down and won't be taking up that nutrient. 
Um, and again, we come back to that. I mean, a lot of gardeners on the Swan Coastal Plain, sandy based. If the plants don't utilise that nutrient, it will leach, you know, can leach through into our waterways. Okay. Um, so I think we need to be a bit more responsible there and, and, and pull back on that and add fertiliser when our plants are actively growing rather than putting it in the planting hole every time we plant. Lisa, aren't they the controlled release uh, temperature released? <clears throat> they, they are. They absolutely are. Um, but most of those last um, three to six months. So I, I, I still think even with the controlled release, gardeners can get more, more benefit, more, more use from them by applying them um, at the time of, of active growth. So yep, generally springtime. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No. Good tip. Mm. And I often get asked, when is the best time to plant? Yeah. And, you know, we are lucky in Perth that we can plant uh, new gardens out all year round. However, your preference, I have my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, autumn is. I think this is the very best time for planting right now. When, when we've still got gorgeous days like this, we've got uh, the ground is warm. So that's going to trigger plant growth and root establishment. Mm. Um, but we've got you know days of you know, occasional rainfall to settle the plants in, and we give them a nice long runway uh, if we plant now before the really hot weather strikes. So autumn's um, yes. my favourite, but we you know we can plant all year round. We've just got mm. different things to to manage. And it's certainly lovely going out there after a shower of rain at this time of oh. year and looking at your handiwork and mm. watching it all just settle in and you can stand back and watch it. It's so good, isn't it? And I think that's you, you've touched on a really important tip as well. It's that being out in the garden, looking at the garden, observing the garden. And I think if we are out in our gardens frequently, checking on our plants and observing our handiwork, then we're more likely to spot any um, issues yes. uh, as they are emerging, like mm. dry spots or pest or disease issues if we're constantly observing and, and being out in our garden, uh, which is no hardship for us keen gardeners, is Absolutely. it? <laughs> yes. Um, it, it's been really lovely having you these past few weeks, Lisa, and the information that you have shared with us all. Uh, we're going to correlate it. John is, and we're going to create our own little podcast information. Is that how we're doing it? Fantastic. Yeah, and so listeners can go back in and then just listen to the information in a concentrated version. And uh, yeah, I I think it will be very helpful. There's some great tips that uh, you've uh, imparted to us all. I've been very inspired, Lisa. Oh, lovely. (laughs) Yesterday, I began planting out my Zeriscape garden. Oh, wow, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Well, it's using common plants that I had been collecting, you know, the ones that I've bought over time that have blown over, that have got root bound. That's what's Uh gone into it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a garden of survivors. Yes. And so, Lisa, is there anything else that you needed to share with us? 
Uh, I guess the last thing to say is, is the real test of any new landscape is the is the aftercare, isn't it? It's the ongoing. Yes, uh, you can't just treatment. step away, can you? <laughs> no, oh, they're living, really. breathing creation. Yeah. So mm. it's not a case of plant and forget. Yes, yes. Uh, it is an ongoing an ongoing thing of trimming and making sure you've got consistent water uh, as they need it, and um, yeah, light trim and light feed when when they need it. So yeah. Very good. Well, I've had fun. It's been uh, one of my favourite topics. I love talking about gardens and garden design. Um, So thank you for the opportunity. And just again, if people would like to uh, become involved in some of the courses that you do, how do they contact you? They go Uh, through... Home base. So home base. We've got the garden design course starting next week yes. uh, on a Thursday night. Uh, runs from six o'clock to no, sorry, five thirty to six o'clock to eight thirty. I think it is. But check mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, COVID brain or something. I'm forgetting. Yeah. Um, and that's a four-week course, and we cover um, all of this in a lot more detail and with great visual images as well. Um, and there are also fantastic courses at TAFE, and I'm um, involved in some of those. So um, the, the learning doesn't stop, and we're all Never. still learning as well, aren't we? Yes, and, um, and your website, Inspired by Nature. Yes, so I do um, do do a little bit of garden design on the on on weekends and yeah when I can fit it in yeah yeah and I I love that. Thank you, Lisa. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, ladies. Have a gorgeous weekend. You You too. too. Thank you. Cheers for that.